changing lives. He's working miracles. Amen. So this week, um, some of our staff got to go to a conference here locally that I've kind of been going to over the years, a couple of decades actually, and um, it's called the Creative Church Conference, and pastors and leaders get together there to seek the Lord and to share thoughts and ideas and encourage one another in the process of of growing Jesus' church, amen? It's important to him, and uh, it's part of who we are as believers. Sorry about that. Um, and, you know, years ago I went there, probably the first time I went there, I wasn't in a lead pastor role. I was an assistant member of a staff with no intention of ever being a lead pastor. It just wasn't in the future for me at, at that time, I thought. And so we went to this conference. I'm seeking the Lord, praying, and you got to understand, at this time in my life, Heather's dad is my pastor. And, you know, knocking it out of the park, and I'm loving being there, being help and support to him. Things are going well in the church, God's blessing. I I had no reason to do anything different than what was going on in the moment. But I go to this conference, and we're, you know, two days in, and I'm sitting down there, and God begins to speak to me personally and call me, not I mean, I, already, I was already called into ministry at this point, but to give me a very clear picture that one day I would be a senior pastor. And I was just, I was shocked by it. There was a little bit of resistance at first, you know, because uh, I was comfortable. Things were fine as they were. And it's still just a little bit of uncertainty in me, but at the same time there was this overwhelming sense of, oh, God, If that's what you're calling me to, I'll do that. I don't want anything else but what you want. It was incredibly moving to have God speak to me that day, and and something happened that day. My capacity was stretched to see something different than what I was in in the midst of that moment. And God called me clearly that day, and it required great faith because I was going to have to take some steps in the days ahead that were going to be awkward and uncomfortable and into some very, very brand new places. And God began a journey then to take me to those places. And as I look at scripture, I find that that really is what God loves to do. He'll take those who will hear him and he will show them what he wants to do in them. If you don't know him, he'll give you a picture of what it looks like to live forgiven, free, not under condemnation, not under guilt, and experience his glory. But if you are saved, he will continue to give you new pictures of what he has called you to, and that is intended to stretch your faith. It's a funny thing you and I do as Christians. We, we tend to think that the times that God stretches our faith the most is when we're going through hard times, when we're going through struggles, It's in those times that we sometimes think, oh, this is when God's stretching me the absolute most. He does. He does stretch us then. But the thing that many Christians forget is that God's greatest way of stretching our faith capacity is by showing us what he wants to do next in our life and us 
yielding to it and taking that step. That is designed to be the greatest stretching moment of your faith. It's true. But that is where many Christians miss it. So there's something that that probably you and I experience maybe on a daily basis, maybe at least once a week, that is a good picture for this. So let me, let me draw a couple of things on the board. We'll get started on the board this morning. If you, uh, if you ever use your cell phone uh, to go somewhere, if you ever use the uh, computer you might have in your car to go somewhere, you get into the car and you type in where you want to go, right? You type in an address, a location, and you let the car, the phone, whatever it is, you let it know where you are or tell it where you want to get your map from, and just instantly you get a map, a diagram, a picture of how to get from point A to point B. Hello, anybody recognize something like this? You know what I'm talking about. In your car, you get a map, and it tells you, go 3.2 miles north. And it says, at the next stop sign, turn left. You know, and what I've heard recently that I hadn't ever heard before is go through this stop sign and to the next stop sign and turn left. I'm like, go through it? Really? You want me to break the law? But what they mean is don't turn here, turn to the next one. But anyway, side point. This is what we have these days. We're used to this kind of thing. We're used to uh, here is my location where I am now and here is my destination. Now, I'm somewhat used to this, but just to be honest, I grew up in the paper map generation, right? <laughs> Amen, yeah. I grew up in the MAPSCO generation. Anybody know what a MAPSCO is? Yeah, it was a little book that had a, a, a map. I mean, it took a whole map, a whole book to give you a map of one city. So you'd have that for Dallas, and if you wanted to find how to get to North Park, you had to turn to page 32, and there would be the map of North Park, but then you had to work your way back to page one to find out where you were, and you had to map your way along the way of how to do that. And then you had to either write it down or hold it beside you and violate all kind of traffic laws by reading while you're driving, all that kind of stuff, which we do every day. So, um, or you had to memorize it. And I chose the memorizing because that was easier for me at that point. I'm like, okay, I know when I get to here, I'm going to turn right, I'm here, I'm going to turn left, that kind of thing. So I grew up trusting my memory and myself to get somewhere. I knew, because I studied the map, here's what I'm going to do. Now, where I would get lost is if I ever had a traffic issue or something and I took a detour, I didn't have any help at that point. I'm lost, really, truly lost. But today, if I get into a car, I have to fight against that urge to want to trust in my own self, and I have to put my trust in the little lady that's telling me what to do on the phone or on the car, right? And she's telling me where to turn and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the younger generation, they, my kids, they all just trust in that stuff just naturally. They're just like, yeah, whatever they say, do, do. And I'm like, no, this is not the way I want to go. Dad, trust it. Just go that way. All right. And sure enough, we're late. No, so I'm sorry. It usually takes me on toll roads that I don't want to go on. I realize there's a setting for that, but that's another story. But the point is, I have to trust in the one who's given me the directions for the destination, right? I have to trust it and not myself. I have to trust what they're telling me as the path that has been chosen specifically for me to get from my location to my destination. And that takes a lot of stretching of my capacity, right, for me today to do that. But I do that. 
God has a destination for your life. He has a purpose for your life. It is heaven, but in this life, he has some destination points he wants you to get to. He has some places he wants you to arrive at. He has some things he wants to do in your life that are bigger than where you are right now, that are different than where you are right now, that will require your absolute faith to trust him to tell you what the next step is. It's not up to you, or it shouldn't be for you to just say, I'm just going to figure out how to get there myself. I know God's got a plan, but, you know, I got this. I've been on these treats before. I can do this. I got the logic. I got the thoughts. I got the smarts. I'm going to do this. Wrong. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Amen? This is God's plan. And you and I are meant to live with some very tangible, practical visions for our life. Because God has those. And they're what are designed to stretch your faith. He has a purpose for you personally, for your heart, for who you are as a person. What you are today is only a part of what he wants to make you to be. He has a design and plan for your marriage. He has a design and plan for your parenting. He has a design and plan for your Involvement in the church, his church, in work, in your life. He has a plan for that. My goal today is to help us all begin to take that step toward knowing his plan and us be willing to walk down that step to get there. Amen? Amen? All right. So um, we're going to look at a story today that comes from uh, Romans chapter 4, if you want to turn there, you can. The message today is called, Vision Will Expand Your Faith Capacity. Vision will do that. Vision will expand your faith capacity. This is what God has done for us. First uh, Corinthians 2, verse 9 and 10 says, but as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. God reveals his plan, his picture, his purpose for us individually in our spirit. And when your spirit, your heart is set to hear him, you will hear that plan, that vision. Are you with me this morning? Yeah. Tell you what, I want to pray because what we're dealing with here today is of such eternal purpose and power. It is every Sunday. But I don't want anything to cause us to miss what God has to say in his word today. Amen? Amen? So let's pray. Father, I thank you that you want to show us more than what we can see right now. I thank you that you want to pull back the curtains to show us your plan. And I thank you that that requires faith. I thank you that it requires us being willing to listen. So God, I'd ask you to 
open our eyes and ears to hear and to see this morning that any spirit of distraction, resistance, doubt, criticism, depression would be cast from this place, would be removed so that a spirit of freedom, a spirit of certainty, a spirit of clarity would reign in this place today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 4, verse 17 is a story of uh, a man that we know from Scripture, Abraham. But this is the New Testament commentary on Abraham's life because the story happens way early in the Bible. But Paul writes about it in chapter 4 uh, of Romans. Abraham is the guy who at a much older age in life God gives a vision to. He hears that call. He hears the vision at a very late age. And it is overwhelming. In fact, Abraham is most likely at about 75 years old at this point. Okay? And he's about to get a vision for the future of his life while on this earth. Amen? It's going to start while he's on earth. Verse um, 17 is where we begin today. Um, it says, as it is written, this is in the middle of a conversation about Abraham. He says, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. Now, what's so dramatic about this is that God gives Abraham a vision for his life that is going to be powerful, that is going to be bigger than what he can ever achieve on his own. So if you're following me on some notes that you're writing here, you can put the word vision down because this is where we're headed today. Because God has a vision for your life. God had a vision for Abraham's life, and God was telling Abraham what it was. And Paul writes and says, look, here's what he said. He said, I have made you, Abraham, a father of many nations. This was at a time when Abraham did not have any children. This was at a time when Abraham could not have any children. This is at a time when his wife was old and she couldn't have any children. And God gives a vision and a promise to them when it was going to be impossible. This is when God likes to give vision, is into settings that seem impossible. Amen? He does. That's why it requires absolute faith. If God spoke to you and you say, I don't know, that just seems a bit far-fetched. You just missed the vision. If you said, I'm going to wait for one I can do on my own, you're going to miss it. Because this, this, is one, this was one that Abraham could not do on his own. So if you want to hear a vision from God, you have to first of all know that when he speaks, it will be specific. It will be driven at you. God's word has vision for all of us about what God wants to do in our lives. But when God speaks, he speaks specifically. That day I was sitting in a conference and he spoke to me. He called me to be a lead pastor one day. He did not call the person next to me to do that or the person on this side of me to do that. He called me to do that. And God wants to speak in that same way even this morning. To say, I have a plan for you. 
Don't worry about the person to your right, to your left, in front, or behind. I am going to speak to you, and I'm going to give you a very specific plan about what that is. He said to Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations at a time when he was not. And it was in the presence of him whom he believed. Oh, if you want to get a vision from God, it's going to start with you standing before God in the presence of him whom he believed. God, I believe you. I believe you are God. I believe you have a plan. And I believe you are speaking to me. Amen? This is where it starts. But there's more in the passage. It goes on also in verse 17. He said, this God is the one who gives life to the dead and calls things or calls those things which do not exist as though they did. The second thing about a vision is that it will be bigger than now. When God gives visions, pictures, dreams, and reveals his purpose, it's for something bigger than where you are now. Now, I just want to strip away a few things here this morning because in the country and in the time in which we lived, it's easy for us to hear this with a prosperity mindset. I'm not talking this morning about you having bigger houses, bigger cars, and bigger bank accounts. I'm not talking about you becoming more popular and more cool. I'm talking about something God wants to do in your life to change you and reveal his will to you and work through you. All right? Are we clear all of a sudden on all this now? God calls to Abraham and he says, look, um, this is the God who gives life to the dead. He's referring to their bodies, Abraham's body and Sarah's body, who were incapable at this point of giving life, having babies again This is the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that do not exist as though they did. If you want to have God's vision for your life, you are going to have to crack the window open to believe that he's going to do something bigger than where you are at now. You're going to have to believe him for something bigger about your marriage, about your life, about your kids, about your situations, about your circumstances, about your work, about his work in your life. You're going to have to believe that he has something bigger than where you are now. Much bigger, because this is the God who calls the dead to life. This is the God who calls things that do not exist as though they did. This requires absolute faith on our part. But the passage goes on in verse 18, it says, Who, contrary to hope, in hope believed Abraham, who had no reason to really have hope in the moment. Because he looked at himself in the mirror. He looked at Sarah across the table. He looked at their home. He looked at their circumstances and could not have assessed and said, you know what? I think we should have children. That would not have been a natural thought for him or Sarah. Hello? But God put something in his heart and Abraham, it says of Abraham, In hope, in confidence, in certainty, he believed. And it caused him to actually become the father of many nations. Not just one child, two children. It caused him to become 
the one who would give off an offspring that would become a nation and nations. And it says that it was according to what was spoken. If you want to get God's will for your life, it will be based on God's word. Don't come to God with your word of what you want. You come to him and say, God, what is your word that you have for me? That's what I want. You want to change my heart, change my life, bring reconciliation in my marriage, bring restoration in my family, restore my mind, restore my emotions, change my entire life. If that's what you speak to me, then I will pursue it. God gave him a very specific vision according to God's word, and he would pursue it based on that. The passage goes on in verse 19, and it says, and not being weak in faith. In other words, not having small capacity the size of a straw. He didn't have little capacity. He had big capacity of his faith to trust God. Not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. It would be, listen to me, 25 years from the time that God gave him the vision until they actually had the son of promise. 25 years of trusting and believing and waiting and having their faith capacity stretched. Because you and I, we want to we hear it and we want to see it when we walk out the door. But sometimes God gives the vision and you got to keep trusting him and keep walking in it and keep believing him for it and keep praying for it and keep believing him for it and keep trusting him for it and keep believing him for it and keep trusting him for it. Hello? 25 years until they would see the son of promise. If you're going to walk with the vision that God has for you, I promise you, it will stretch your capacity. It will. It's designed to. It's designed to cause you to believe. It's designed to cause you to ache in the night. It's, it's designed to cause you to cry out to God. It's designed to cause you to see it and long for it and wait for it and pray for it and believe him for it and work for it and take steps toward it. This is what Abraham and Sarah did 25 years of this. And not to get too intimate, but it was all about having a baby. You know what it takes to have a baby. 25 years of that, waiting and waiting, but believing and trusting and not giving up. Boy, that stretches your faith. Amen? Also, if you're going to have vision, verse 20 tells us that Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. For Abraham in this moment, it was going to require some priorities. 
In fact, it requires great priority if you're going to believe God and pursue him. It means you have to intentionally rearrange your life toward what he has said to you. Now, let me, let's just stop for just a moment because I know this sounds, um, this can sound like a Tony Robbins, you know, event here or like a TED Talk. I want to be very, very clear. This is not a TED Talk. This is a God Talk. We're looking at what Scripture says and we're looking at God's will for our life because we want to walk in that, amen? So let me just break down some things about priority. Because if you want to see a vision for your life, you're going to have to honor the priorities that God says are a priority. You you don't just get to pick and choose how you want to do it and ask God to bless it. He blesses what he says is important. And he blesses those who walk in that. Amen? So let's just look at some some priorities here, for example, of how we apply this all in our own life. The greatest priority that God has for your life is changing you. Not the person next to you, not your spouse, not your children, you. It's in you that he is working to conform you to the image of his son. This is where our work must begin. Don't go off in other places looking for God's will until you have taken care of what it means to have God's will be preeminent in your own life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things that we're about to talk about will be added to you. It is his will and it's his design to conform each of us to the very image of Christ. That's what he's doing. He is arranging your circumstances. He's speaking to you. He's calling you. He's shaping you. And for those who will respond, he will actually change you into the image of his son, Jesus. And if you've got any question about God's will for your life, you can ask this. Is this decision I'm about to make going to help me become more like Jesus, then the possible answer is yes, you should do it. But I can tell you this, if that question you're asking about that next step in your life, if it is going to cause you to be less like Jesus, the answer to that question is no, don't do it. You can eliminate a lot of stuff with that right there. This is God's primary workspace in your life. This is where he sets up shop. And nothing else has any value when this space is not taken care of. He calls you and I to be at this place focused, setting our sight on him saying, God, your word in my heart is more important than anything. Me, surrendered to your will is more important than anything. Freedom in my heart is more important than anything. Me being conformed to the image of Christ is more important than anything. Being free from guilt, anxiety, depression, despair, anger, resentment, that's more important than anything. Amen? This is where God begins his work. This is priority number one. Don't go off looking for what God's will for is in your life until you've met with him here for this spot. Amen? 
The second area that God wants to work in your life, if you are married, is your marriage. He has a very specific, tangible goal for your marriage. And it may be different than what yours is for your marriage. But nonetheless, he has a goal. He has in his mind what your marriage looks like a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now. And it's more glorious than what you can imagine. But he calls you and I to set our sights and our heart on him that that might become what we are in our marriage. Amen? So the Bible says that husbands, we're to love our wives like Christ loved the church, and wives are to love their husband in the same way the church loves Christ. The, the vision, the picture, the goal that God has for your marriage is that you would look like the gospel. So that when your family, your children, and everybody else sees you, they see, wow, that man, he has a, a picture, a vision, a passion. He has a desire to lay down his life for his wife, to help her be great, to help her be glorious, as it says in Ephesians. That's his goal in his marriage. His goal is not, when am I going to get what I want? No, dude, that's not God's goal for you. You need to go back to square one and deal with you. In fact, you're not going to have a great marriage until you've got, let God take care of you. When you let God bring you to the end of yourself and you start pursuing his ways, then he'll bring you into a great marriage. And he'll begin to work in your marriage. And this is an ongoing work. Look, Heather and I, 31, in, 31 years in, you'd think we'd have this thing figured out by now. Five kids, nine grandkids, you'd think. There are some incredibly fresh things that God is doing in our marriage right now. Conversations we've never had. Heart change that hasn't been. And deeper levels of closeness than we've ever experienced. God continues his work. He will keep speaking, whether you're three months in, three years in, 31 years in, or 52 years in. You name it, God is at work, and he has a vision for what's next. He has a very unique plan for your marriage. Don't give in to the enemy's lie that just says, well, here's what it is, doing the best I can. She's what she is, he's what he is, and we're just here, just, you know, sometimes good, most times not, but just the way it is. Do not let the enemy sell you that bill of junk. Come on now, we're God's people that have God's hand upon us, that have God's word in front of us, that have God's spirit inside us, and God has a vision for us. Let us not settle for anything less than that, Amen. This is God's order. This is God's plan. He has a purpose. Seek him in that. The scripture teaches us how to do that for husbands and for wives. And the church is all about building that up. The reason the gospel is ineffective today in our world is because marriages are ineffective in our world today. Christian marriages, God help us. May it bring us back to a place of repentance that we might get it right there and get it right here so that the gospel can be seen in our world today. Amen. Look here, there's another area that God has a vision for in our life, and it's in uh, the children 
that we have parenting. It's a process. It's not for the weak at heart. It's for the strong in faith. It's for those who will believe and trust God. You didn't have a children just because you had a, uh, yeah, I'm just not going to say that. There's a lot of things I could have said there, but I'm not. You didn't have a child because you decided to have a child. You had a child because God gave you a child. I don't care if it was on your timing or not on your timing. It was God's timing. And when it showed, when he or she showed up, it was meant for you to have faith up in that moment. Because God has a purpose. You don't just say, well, I don't know what to do. Ah, Who knows? Let's just do the best we can. No, come on now. God is called our father. If you want to know what it looks like to parent, he's the one who has the picture. We're called his children. Imagine that in the Bible. There's lots of instruction, plenty of instruction about how Christian parents are to raise up their children in the admonition of the Lord. We don't just say, well, I don't know what to do with you. Go find a school, help yourself, come home, we'll have some fun, we'll see what happens. No, you and I as Christian parents are to be intentional about training our children up, teaching them God's ways, showing them what God looks like in our home. The book of Psalms says we are, we are raising up arrows. Arrows come with work. Arrows come with intentionality. Arrows come because someone decided to take a, a raw piece of wood and shape it and craft it and measure it and put a point on it and put a backside on it and then put it in a bow one day and pull it back and launch that arrow to hit a target. That's what you and I are called to as Christian parents. We are called to raise arrows. We're not just accidentally doing this thing. We're not just haphazardly doing this thing. We're not just wondering if it's the right. We're seeking God on it and doing what he says because he has a very specific plan of what your children are to look like. And we get the chance to join him in that process for about 18 or 19 years. And then they walk with him. But there's an order. If you want to know how to do this well, you better figure out what God says about this. You're not going to do this well if this is in shambles. You're not going to know the direction here if there's no peace here. And you're not going to know peace here until there's peace here with God. God has a purpose. God has a design. God has a vision. It's bigger than what you can know. If God showed you the vision he has for your children, it would shock you. It'd scare you. If my mom and dad had known what I would be when they were newly married, my mom in her early 40s and my dad in his late, late 40s, second marriage, only child, starting over again basically, if they had known I'd be here, it would have shocked them. They couldn't have seen it in the day. God has a plan for your children's life. It's not your responsibility to get them there. It's your res- responsibility to teach, him, teach them them that he is the one who will get them there. 
that he is the one who will lead them, that he is shaping them, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the one who conforms them to the very image, and he has a plan for their life. Amen? God has a purpose. God has a plan. God has a vision. God has a very specific vision for all of these, a good vision, a glorious vision, a, a, a future that has a hope to it. A future that may have some impossibility to it to you now, but you trust God in it just like Abraham and Sarah did. God also has a vision and a plan for his church. It's his church, by the way. It's not any of our church, right? God is the one who designed the church. Jesus is the one who's the head of the church. And God has a, a specific plan for his church. It's not just his idea that we would just show up and have a good thing to do on Sunday morning just because that would be nice. He didn't design the church so we could all get together and have some fellowships and some good lasagna or some good, you know, uh, shared meals every once in a while. That's not what God called the church to do. That might be some of the things we enjoy. We might get to enjoy some fellowship. We might get to enjoy some great worship together. We might get to enjoy some good encouragement and, and friendships together. But God's purpose for the church is for us to make disciples. This is what you and I are called to. And God has a vision for that. He has a vision for every local church even. I believe he has a vision for our church. He has a picture and a future and a plan for what he wants to see accomplished here through Vertical Church Ovilla. I believe he began that vision many, many years ago when some men of faith and some women of faith had the power and the desire to start and they bought a piece of land right here that God provided. And over the years, many different pastors, including Carol Edwards' husband, Wes Edwards, who was pastor here had that vision as well, and they continued it. It was under his leadership that they built this very building that we are in today. Amen. And the history has shown that God has a vision and a plan, and God's not finished here yet. He has a vision and a plan for what is ahead because God loves the church. It is through the church that he makes his ways known to the world today. It's through the church that we encourage and teach one another. It's through the gathered church that he shows up in manifest ways that are different than when you and I are in our homes. Hello? I recognize the fact that when we leave here, we are still the church. But let's be clear. We are not the church gathered until we are the church gathered. We can be church members and believers out in the community, but there's a reason we are told to not forsake the assembling of ourselves. There's a reason we are called to gather together. There's a reason that God has established the church with a pastor and leaders. There's a reason that God has established the church with elders. There's a reason that God has called the church to make disciples, that we might teach and preach and help others experience life in him, and that has tangible goals to it. Amen? Are y'all with me today? Yeah. All right, so make sure. Church, God also has a goal for the work that he has for you. He has a plan for your work. I'm not talking about just those who go into a job somewhere sometime. I'm talking about those that even stay home sometimes to do the work of raising the children. Hello? Or parenting, teaching, whatever it might be. Whatever the work is that God has for you, it is a work. It is meant to be task-focused. It is meant to be filled with passion and energy. And God's purpose for work, listen to me, is so that you and I might know how to serve 
other people. Not just so that work can help us make a bunch of money. That's where we get into our American 21st century mindset shift that we have to be careful of. Nothing wrong with God blessing and causing prosperity to happen. But that's not the goal. The goal is that our talents and skills and our passions would be used to serve other people, that even in our work, we would, they would see Jesus in and through us. Amen? Let me put one more on here. Hobbies. We can include talents in this if we want because God gives us talents. God gives us abilities. God gives us interests. God gives us things that he calls us with uh, when we have time to do to do them. But all of those really should be designed to give glory to God. He didn't give you your talent, your skill set, your hobbies as just a trinket for you to play with by yourself. He gave you your skill set so that you would use it to glorify him wherever you go and with what you do. Amen? Now, these are all important because God has specific vision for each one of these areas that he wants to work through us, and he has specific vision for you, for your marriage, for your children, for the church, for your work, for your hobbies. And you say, well, I've never even considered some of that stuff. Well, welcome. Welcome to the future. Welcome to the day that you sit down with your spouse and say, have you ever thought about God's vision for our marriage? Now you know what your Sunday afternoon is going to be about. Hello? Come on. And men, don't cheap out on this. Don't whip out of this. and Come on. You're a man, not a grunting animal. Let's have some faith in this deal. Let's have some skin in the game. Let's talk about what God's design is. If you don't know it, it's time to open your Bible. If you don't know it, it's time to ask some people who do know. If you don't know it, it's time to seek God and pray and ask him, God, what is your vision for our marriage? God, what is your vision for our kids? God, what is your vision for the church? What is my part in it? Where are you calling me to serve? Where are you calling me to give? Which, by the way, that's just part of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. We serve, we give, we encourage, we pray for one another, we fellowship together. That's part of who we are in the process of making disciples. Get God's vision. He's very specific with it in Scripture. It's going to be bigger than what you know right now. The God's vision for your marriage, your kids, it's going to be bigger than what you know. The same for us as a church. It's always going to be based on God's word. It's going to stretch you and your faith. It's going to be bigger than what you can fit into your head right now. It's going to require some priorities as we're discussing here. Because let me say this. This, I believe, is God's order of priorities for our lives. I will seek him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then I will love my neighbor, the one closest to me, as I love myself. I'm going to pour out myself here. As you do this, you'll begin to get God's vision for your children. As you do that, you'll begin to get God's picture for what you're called to be within his church. And as his church on this earth, those who are the salt 
those who are the light of the world, those who are ambassadors for Christ, those who are part of the one group on church that Jesus has said the gates of hell will not prevail against. He doesn't make that promise to any government. He doesn't make that promise to anyone else, no business. He makes that promise to his church only. His church is far more valuable than what we have realized, I'm afraid. And then, what has he called you to do? To provide. And then, if you have anything left over after seeking God and doing all of this, you may get some time to do this. Do not get this out of order. Don't camp out here because you'll soon be wondering what happened here. If you're all wrapped up down here in your work and your hobbies, there's going to come a day you're going to wonder, oh, God, what happened to my children? Oh, God, what happened in my marriage? Things are falling apart, God. What happened? Well, because you invested here and you invested here, but you didn't invest here, 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 and here, and here in this order. God blesses his order, not ours. And so it's important that we get the vision, but let's get it in his order and his framework, and then he will do what's necessary. The last verse I'd like to look at here today as part of the story is verse 21. It says that Abraham, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform. Abraham got a vision from God. And it really was all about this. It was every area in his life. When he heard it from God, it just all of a sudden was like a multi-layered Google Maps doc all of a sudden laid out. You know, it was all this depth to it. And it was the plan. And God said, I will do this, not you. But you're going to have to trust me. Walk in my ways. And it says, as a commentary over his life, it says that Abraham was fully convinced. Now, if you know the story of Abraham, you know there were some moments where he deviated and got distracted and tried to do it in his own strength. But the New Testament says, bottom line, he was fully convinced. He said, God, you're the only one that can do what you have said to me that you'll do. He believed God was able to do and perform what he had promised brings us to our last point here. If you want to have God's vision for your life, it will demand action. It will demand that you take the next step of obedience. It's one thing to believe that God could do all of these things. But listen to me clearly. The Bible says even demons believe and they tremble. If you want to see God work in your life, you're going to have to get onto the next step of believing because the one who truly believes, he takes a step and he moves forward. He doesn't just enter a destination in on Google Maps and say, wow, that would just be so awesome to be over there, man. You know, to get past all the traffic, and I know it's a lot of miles, and boy, just, 
be so nice. I, I mean, I just believe it can happen. No, somewhere is where you are in this journey. I don't know where you are. Let's just say you're here in relation to you, your marriage, your children, the church, your work, hobbies, even in the priority. Let's say you are here. Praise God that you're not here anymore, that you're not dead in your sins anymore, that you're not stuck where you were. But look here. Now it's time to take the next step. It's time to expand your capacity and do what God has called you to next. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, this is your moment to take the step and say, okay, Jesus, I've been running this show on my own. I'm done. I'm going to take the step. I'm going to trust you with my life. Maybe you're here today and you've done that, but you've never taken the step of being baptized. It's the next step. It's the next part of the journey. It's the peace that will get you to the next step. Maybe you're here today and you say, I've got some things in my marriage that are just, they're way off. I've had wrong priorities. I've been doing my own thing and there's contention, there's conflict. And God, I need to come back to you first. Take that step. Let's don't live stuck in the middle of the map anymore. Let's move forward in faith because that's where our faith is stretched. That's where capacity expands. Move forward. Take the step. If it means contacting a a loved one, a friend, a child, a parent, and reconciling, take the step. If it means changing the priorities you've had for your life, take the step. If it means being sold out to Jesus, take the step. Don't sit in waiting any longer because you won't get any more faith capacity while you're sitting in your isolation. Take the step. Amen? Take the step. Would you bow your heads with me? I don't know what your step is this morning. I know what God calls us to. I know what he has for each of us. And I believe he is speaking this morning. I believe he's given some steps today. Just as a way of confirmation, if God has spoken to you this morning about a step to take, would you just raise your hand for just a second? What is a step? Tell, just raise your hand. God is speaking to me today. God's given me a step. Amen. Amen. There's a next step for me to take, and I'm going to take it. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Father, I thank you that you've called us to something bigger than what we see today. I thank you that it's so big that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it even entered into the heart of man what you've prepared for those who love you. But today you revealed it to us by your spirit in us. You've shown us. And as your children today, by faith, we are choosing. We will take that step. We will be obedient. We'll have the conversation. We'll take the action. We'll change whatever it is. We will do what you've called us to do because you've called us to more. I thank you, Father, that you've spoken to us today. And now we will, by faith, do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.